I'm Jeff MacArthur, and if you're a dog lover like me, well, this is going to make your ears perk up, and probably your dogs too. That's because there's a drug that might actually add years to your dog's life. Let's welcome in fellow dog lover and veterinarian. Here is Dr. Cliff. Cliff Redford joins us now for more on this. Dr. Cliff, good afternoon, sir. Hey, Jeff. How's it going? Well, I'm not too bad, thank you. Uh, tell us a bit more, if you could, about this uh, study that's claiming that there's a drug and it can actually help your dog live a longer life. Yeah, it's uh, making my tail wag as we speak, definitely. <laughs> so um, this drug, I'm going to talk a lot about how it's being used in people because it's been FDA approved for the last 16 years in people. It's called rapamycin. And rapamycin is a drug that is being used to treat anything from kidney degenerative disorders, certain type of smooth and skeletal muscle disorders. Um, there's a very rare lung condition called lymphangioliomyomatosis. Lyomyo means smooth muscle of, of, well, it could be the lungs or the colon. And the way this drug works is it protects the energy factory cells. They're called mitochondria. These little mitochondria produce energy for organs and, and various systems. So there's a lot of mitochondria in muscle, in the heart, in the kidneys. The kidneys require an immense amount of energy to do their job. And as the mitochondria become damaged due to various diseases, just simple age-associated degeneration, the body recognizes that it's damaged and then destroys it, a process called autophagy. Um, and... Basically, this drug, uh, rapamycin, stops the signal that the body uses to say, hey, this cell is damaged, let's get rid of it. So they've been using it in people for a long time, and now they've done some studies uh, mostly in rats, which are rats and mice are kind of the easy and cheap uh, uh, human comparative uh, for studies. And they have found that uh, rats and mice that are given this drug, not only do they live anywhere from 8 to 18 weeks longer, which is very significant in a rat or mice's uh, uh, lifespan, um, they are having less rates of types of colon cancer, less rates of kidney damage, possibly cognitive function improvement, and Alzheimer's, uh, some patients with Alzheimer's might be on rapamycin anyways. So, they're kind of doing the math with the mice and saying, hey, therefore, maybe the dog can live two or three years longer. But it is a big maybe. I'm not holding my breath for this drug. Not just yet, anyways. All right. Is this something, though, if it proves to be effective? Is it like, I don't know, a supplement? Is it something that you would give your dog on a daily basis to extend its life? Yeah. Um, we don't really know. And there's actually some veterinarians more in the U.S. than here, but uh, veterinarians are already being asked about this drug by some very well-educated uh, and sort of Google expert pet owners. And right now it's still kind of unethical to prescribe this, but it will be a prescription drug if this passes through all the, the studies. And let's be let's be honest, if the pharmaceutical company who owns the patent and that patent for the human side is running out if they can make enough money on this they're gonna they're gonna sell it to uh, veterinarians or at least have us try and prescribe it but it would be a prescription drug and it probably because it's going to be expensive it's probably going to be used when we've diagnosed some of these diseases kidney disease for example is the number one disease in senior cats 
uh, higher than heart disease, higher than cancer. It is it is a big problem with cats. It's number two in dogs. So it'd be sort of, hey, your dog's got early stage kidney disease, stage one out of four maybe. Let's consider trying this drug, rapamycin. The studies show that it may uh, slow down the onset of the degeneration. Right. I do not think this will be something that you could give as an over-the-counter supplement, though. It's just going to be too costly. Let me ask you this question, because I'm sure people listening to us right now, Cliff, are thinking the same thing. If this is a drug that uh, originally has been given to humans, should we be giving it to human beings as well to extend their life? Yeah, I mean, we're a little bit out of uh, my wheelhouse here. I mean, I sure. am a doctor, but, <laughs> but not a human one. Um, I would I would assume if they found that as an effect, um, the pharmaceutical company would have been making billions of dollars on this, already utilizing it as a, as a fountain of youth uh, product. Uh, maybe we'll ask Joe Rogan if he's taking it, because I'm sure if there's any sort of possibility, he's probably... Uh, taking it regardless of what the research says. But right now with people, they're just utilizing it for those very specific diseases. Because this is a very strong drug, though. It does significantly suppress certain parts of the immune system, um, what are called the T-killer cells. And uh, it's going to protect you from some of these diseases and from some of these cancers. But you'll be highly susceptible to other infectious agents. Um, so, uh, you know, I wouldn't be taking it just to make myself live longer. I would just, uh, take my Flintstone vitamins and, and eat right and exercise. I think that's probably better. All right. Let me ask you before we leave this, uh, topic, uh, typically it's been understood or I guess accepted that one year, uh, one calendar year for us humans equals seven years for a dog in a dog's life. Is that still kind of the accepted math or ratio, Cliff? Yeah, no, definitely not. Because if you if you look at it, a dog is considered an adult, uh, both in the way they grow and, let's say, sexual maturity at a year old. And then we have some dogs that live 20. So if you do the math, 140 years, it doesn't really work. What they kind of do is the first year is like 20, and then every year after that is like five. So they don't have a linear curve like we do. They have uh, they have kind of a, a weird bell curve instead. But then that's also thrown out the window with the very micro breeds because they don't have a lot of growth hormones, so like the chihuahuas, and also for the opposite reason, thrown out the window for the giant breeds. So we don't really know. We just know the dogs are an adult at a year, and they're considered uh, senior at seven and geriatric at 10. Um, but other than that, they're not people, so we don't, we don't really compare them exactly like us. All right, joined by Dr. Cliff, Cliff the Vet, here on this Tuesday. Cliff, also wanted to ask you about this new uh, research, Canadian researchers discovering the first possible case of deer spreading uh, COVID, uh, the COVID virus, uh, to a human being. What more do we know about this? Yeah, what a uh, fantastic topic to be talking about today, right? Um, so this was done, they basically... I don't know why they were doing it, but they ended up uh, doing nasal swabs and, and oral swabs of deer after they were shot. They were working with hunters uh, and all through northeastern U.S., Ontario, Quebec, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, they found a whole bunch of deer that had a COVID variant. Now, the, the Toronto infectious disease specialist that was talking about this said this variant isn't even closely related to Delta or Omicron. It has mutated so many times that it is a distant relative of Delta and Omicron variants. And they only found one person who was in, quote, considerable contact with these deer 
uh, I think it was one of the researchers, that also had this very, very unusual variant. Now, the person was not sick. They were just able to pull some of the genetic material from their nasal and, and oral swabs as well. Um, so this is a very, there's not a lot of, you know, sort of worry regarding this study. Um, they're going to keep an eye on it, help them learn more about this disease because this, this virus isn't going anywhere. But the only animal that they've shown that's been able to take the virus and spread it, and this is scientifically proven, has been the mink. Um, so I say to people, don't wear mink furs anyways, and then you're not going to have to worry about it. But this is, this is just a tip of the iceberg. You know, it's probably going to turn into nothing. But you never know, and it's always good to, to research, 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 eventually sure. knowledge. Yeah, and again, uh, you're a veterinarian, not a virologist, but let me ask you, is there a concern that uh, if this has been detected or found in deer, mink, or other animals, that this could lead to even more variants, even more possible transmission, particularly amongst humans, do we know? Yeah, I mean, I guess, and, and I like to joke that veterinarians are virologists. We, we we know a little bit of everything. We're just master of none of them, right? Um so the issue is, is this virus can mutate. We've, we've seen that. It's been proven. And so there's always a possibility. But this virus, I mean, the coronavirus family has been around a long time. We used to vaccinate dogs for coronavirus. It was just a, a much different sort of relative of the one we're dealing with now. So it is always possible. Um, but we really have to just be more careful about human-to-human transmission. Um, with, these, uh, with these deer that are carrying this, they're even just telling uh, uh, hunters who are going to be handling this or veterinarian wildlife vets like myself, wash your hands after dealing with the deer, um, you know, maybe wear gloves, that sort of thing, which they probably do anyways, and then cook the meat properly. I'm a vegetarian, so it's not an issue. But uh, uh, as long as you do that, you have nothing to worry about. I think we need to focus more on human to human transmission than, uh, than anything. So go get vaccinated, wear your mask, and uh, don't cause trouble. All right. Dr. Cliff, appreciate the time as always. Thanks so much for this. Have a great day. There goes Cliff the Vet, Dr. Cliff Redford with us. And we're back after this break. You're listening to The Jeff MacArthur Show. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.